Welcome to the Think Data podcast, brought to you in partnership with DataWorks. If you want to stay up to date with the latest breakthroughs and trends in the world of data and artificial intelligence, and if you're curious about some of the strategies that companies and founders use to launch data and AI products, then you're in the right place. Our aim is to bring together a diverse lineup of fantastic guests, from the founders through to accomplished leaders and product owners at some of the most fascinating data and AI companies worldwide. They will each offer you their own unique insight into what it takes to launch and scale a great data business. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. This is episode 28 of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. And today I'm really happy to welcome Amanda Fetch to the show. Amanda has over 20 years experience in data analytics, which has seen her work for the likes of The Block, SiriusXM and Macy's. Amanda also provides training, support, mentorship uh, to the next cohort of data professionals and was actually recently recognized by LinkedIn as a top voice within artificial intelligence. And we will obviously make a point of tagging your uh, your amazing LinkedIn content after the show. But I uh, I know for a fact people are really keen to uh, hear more about you and your journey because I think we talked at the top of this. Your transition and your career in analytics was anything but normal. So I was really interested to delve into that. So would you mind kind of yeah, who's Amanda and kind of what brought you here today? Yeah, absolutely. So as far as what I'm currently working on now is I'm working as a head of applied science at Data Squared. And there we focus on using natural language processing and AI to build solutions for our clients, pretty much based on unstructured data, of which our goal is explainability. And to get away from the black box effect of solutions, so our targets lie within the government and um, energy industries. And so in addition to that, I'm an advisory board member of the Strategic AI program through the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. I just finished up a master's in science and research at Capital Technology University, and I'm currently working towards my PhD in tech and AI, which the focus of that looks like right now, it'll be orbital debris and space junk, along with predictive analysis. And so which you kind of touched on regarding my background and how I originally came from the retail industry. I was working in stores. My undergrad degree was from Penn State in business and marketing. And I really broke into analytics by transferring skills that I had gathered from the stores. And I morphed them into a financial planning and pricing role at Macy's. Cool. Wow. When do you have time for yourself, I guess, is the question. But that's uh, it's amazing your so would you say you're kind of a naturally curious you kind of learner by by trade? Is that just kind of naturally just curious? You're upskilling, it's just something you by the sounds of you've got so many things going on. And also you're imparting that knowledge, as I mentioned at the top of this, onto the next cohort. So how do you describe that, you know, kind of mindset to learning? Yeah, yeah. So as far as, you know, having that mindset and really what I've done to upskill myself and stay relevant, because again, I came from kind of that store background. So what happened with myself was I always had a passion for numbers and puzzles. And so I was thrown into a role at Macy's where I had analysts reporting into me and I had zero coding background and experience. Okay. And so they were basically coding marketing campaigns in SQL. But because of that passion for numbers and wanting to learn, I started teaching myself SQL through YouTube videos and things like that. And then from there on, I kept finding myself in the same kind of situation 
where I would be in roles. And with the advancements in technology, I had to keep upskilling. And so with that, I always recommend, you know, there's tons of courses and boot camps and non-traditional learning that individuals can do to continually stay relevant and upskill. I think it's a really kind of welcome point there because obviously we are in this uh, inflection point, down market, whatever we want to describe this current state of the analytics space, but which has ultimately led to less opportunities for more people, which has been a real, uh, it's very tricky telling all these amazing people who have maybe gone to top schools or schools irrespective where they are on the ranking, they've, they've invested time, money, um, and then they're coming out and it's really, really challenging. So the point that you raised there about upskilling, you know, doing the courses, you know, is that the, would you say that's the best advice for kind of people trying to break it at the moment or, or what kind of emphasis can they, uh, can they place on maybe unpaid work, for example, because at the moment it's really about getting that experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I would say that. I would say if, you know, depending on their situation, if they can do mm. internships and things like that, get in their foot in the door, absolutely. But what I would say is, though, again, that passion to learn is what's going to separate them. And mm. so that's what I would say for anyone trying to get into this world and to make it and stay relevant is you really have to have that drive for knowledge and information. Because our world is just changing so quickly that it's impossible to know everything. Mm. And so you kind of have to be humble enough to realize that and know that you have to keep learning to stay relevant. And so I would say if you're passionate about this, don't give up. Just, <laughs> you know, keep the course, you know, stay learning like we just talked about. Take that internship mm. or whatever you have to to maybe get your foot in the door. And then before you know it, you'll be able to get that full on analytics role. And also don't be afraid. Like I said, I came from stores. You may not think, hey, you know, I have this side job or something like that, that I'm in stores, I'm, you know, ringing up customers, working the register, whatever you might be doing. But if you're looking at any kind of sales reports, inventory analysis, I mean, all of those skills transfer well into the mm -hmm. analytics space. So just, you know, so, some tips out there for anybody who, who could be doing the same thing is what that's really what I did. Mm. It's that curious mind, isn't it? I think if you've got that curiously analytical mind anyway, then it's not such a scary jump into the world of data. And I think your point you raised just a minute ago is really valid around the pace at which data, obviously we've got AI kind of rearing its head as well, has accelerated. How do people stay current then? Because obviously there is so much... Um, innovation, uh, there's uh, consolidation, there's all these new tool sets coming out. Uh, I think at last count, they said it was 2,286 BI or analytics tools are currently in the ether somewhere. So it's very hard to keep on top of those. How, how, what steps should they take to really stay current then? Yeah, yeah. So I would say in order to stay current, and, and, and it sounds funny because we're literally, you know, speaking through podcasts and things like that now, but I mm. would say any sort of blogs, podcasts, even, you know, LinkedIn, mm. seeing, you know, any knowledge, you know, anybody that's considered a knowledgeable resource within that area, you know, find out whatever area you're passionate about. Maybe let's say within this area, it could be computer vision or robotics, mm. you know, whatever that might be. I would say, follow those individuals, see what they're saying, see what they're looking into. A lot of times what I'm seeing is, you know, individuals like myself who have a background in that and have 
been doing this for a while. We understand the importance of upskilling mm. and helping individuals either break in because we need so many people or staying relevant. So you'll see courses being posted throughout and things like that. So I would say, yeah, any kind of reading, you know, it, it's kind of all about just that knowledge base. But again, you have to have a passion for this, I think, because it's a lot of reading, upskilling, learning, being curious, like you said, that's mm. really key as well. And then it has to be something you love. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a valid point, isn't it? You, you have to be super passionate about this space, A, to invest the time outside of potentially your day job or your research thesis or whatever you're doing is your kind of the mainstay of your day. It's the extra lengths you're going to go to to kind of really obscure yourself. And I suppose that's one part, part of it. But at the moment, as I mentioned, there is such a huge amount of applications for far fewer roles. And actually one of the issues is really standing out. So how, you know, there's all these resumes pouring into the top of the funnel. Uh, the talent teams are far leaner. You know, there's line managers who are far more stretched. So from your experience, what can kind of candidates do to stand out? Yeah, yeah. So so one thing I wanted to throw out there that I found interesting is one thing we should note is ATS and that applicant traffic tracking oh. software and applicants' perceptions of the toll. You know, mm. I did a study on that and the individuals had an AI background and even those individuals really didn't like the toll. They were afraid of the biases that could be involved in things like that. So I think it's a top of, you know, any applicant's head is how they can stand out. So I think this is a mm -hmm. great question. And so what I would say is Anytime you're looking at resume, try to, and the job description, try to tailor your resume to any keywords that you could find within the description. Yep. And I would say after that, when you're applying, highlight any projects you have done, any courses, boot camps, whatever they might be. And in addition to that, what's really hot in this world right now is any kind of use case. Mm -hmm. Any kind of real world use case you can somehow put on your resume is relevant. And then, of course, the old fashioned, you know, highlight your tech skills, tailor your resume for each application you do. Also, use a simple format on your resume because mm -hmm. if that ATS is scanning, then you don't want to sort of confuse the system with something that's a little bit complicated. And then if you can, I also advise to go outside of this world, bypass the system totally and network as much yeah. as possible to really get yourself out there. Yeah, no, I, th I think I really like that. I think the, uh, obviously we review resumes in the droves every single day. And I think the, the ones that stands out are the ones that ultimately are shorter, clearer, have you know uh, you know are aligned to the vacancy um, because unfortunately unfortunately i guess as well there's that kind of there is software that is used whether it's ats or through linkedin or any of those job uh, companies that screen for keywords and that's just because the the sheer volume that's coming through they have to and uh, it's funny you saying that on the these the piece you were doing about the ats piece the actual people that were using it or uh, work on it, didn't like it. What, what, where do you think that piece goes now? Because obviously we have AI, we have these different toolings that are coming about sourcing. How can they make that piece? Because um, it is right, it's all about the candidate experience at the moment. And ATS has become, in a lot of people's eyes, kind of the black hole. But how are they going to make that less of a black hole? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the simple answer, but whether we can actually see it happening or not, is be more transparent. Mm-hmm. Literally in the description, say, you know, either that we're using the software, which a lot of times we kind of know they are, but mm-hmm. just even saying that and then saying, you know, we're looking for XYZ or a human will be in the loop at this point. I think just any kind of transparency would help fix the trust with the toll a little bit, but I know that's difficult because sometimes even the hiring managers, they don't know, you know, they've Mm -hmm. bought, you know, an off the shelf software or something like that. So they really don't even know. But if that means going back a step and having the company who built the toll, basically, you know, before somebody comes out and uses it within a company or something like that, hiring leaders, training them on, on what exactly this toll is, what it's looking at, things like that. Because again, I just think within our world, we're in now transparency is everything. Yeah. And I'd agree. And I also think the candidate journey and also the employer brand is is, is, is the, the, the impact of a poor candidate experience may not be felt now. It may be felt 6, 12, 18 months, two years down the line when someone goes, actually, I had a really shoddy experience with that ca- uh, the company. They never got back to me. I got a, you know, almost like an out of office reply and then I never heard from them again. And I think that's where companies could really... Uh, drive efficiencies. And I think a good process done, uh, you know, can really help them for the long term. So it's really interesting you're involved on that piece. And I think you've obviously hired, you've grown teams, you've been through the different ebbs and flows of the market. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we are in a a down market. It's It's a challenging time for people. How do you think companies will approach hiring again when we come out of this? What do you think they'll change, if anything? Yeah, yeah. So I think one thing we're already seeing now is companies being more selective when they're hiring. Mm. You know, as you said, we're not really seeing that mass hiring anymore. And so I would say in a lot of cases, they're hiring for more what they consider their essential roles, Mm. possibly utilizing more contract positions, freelance workers. Um, But the upside to that is I think if you're in the company, I also feel like now regarding pretty much the workers that are already there in place, that employers will put more investment in training and development, enhancing employee retention of those employees they have there. So I think we're going to see that as well. Yes, it's kind of balmy, isn't it? You kind of think in a a market, it takes a market shift like we've seen for companies then to realize the value of the staff that they have currently working there. Mm -hmm. In in a growth market, they're kind of almost happy with that cyclical attrition and it's just factored in. But all of a sudden, the value they place on people's heads now is far more important. Um, And yeah, I think... Because obviously teams are stretched at the moment, aren't they? You're kind of seeing the people that are left in those teams, morale is going to be slightly lower, they're more stretched. So what steps do you think would you take as a manager to invest in them? Would it be more around kind of longer term plans? Would it be more upskilling them? What, What steps would you take, do you think? So for me, I mean, I think it has to be twofold. I think for one, we have to make sure, I mean, we constantly hear about individuals being underpaid or feeling Mm. undervalued and things like that. So I think they really need to get some kind of feedback on their particular organization. And sometimes we think, well, it's only pay or it's only X, Y, Z, but I think you really have to go into your org and find out what that would be. Mm. And I think at the same time, I know for myself being in this world, and again, I can only speak for myself, I do like when a company will uptrain or give me, you know, provide me with courses or whether it's some money to go and take another course, things Mm. like that. And so especially if it's one of those things where 
you know, I understand if they're paying for like, let's say a master's degree, and then they want you to give back three years of your life or something like that. But maybe if it's just a shorter, you know, one-off course or something like that, and it's kind of for your own development as well in the org and outside of the org, you could take somewhere else. I feel like that kind of lifts the pressure and a little bit of the burden of kind of the old school way of thinking where, you know, we would pay for one of those longer degrees and then, but we need you to stay with us for so long. And it would kind of would build, I I don't know if I want to use the word animosity there, but sometimes, (laughs) you Mm. know, people, it's a great opportunity, but not everybody looks at it that way. (laughs) They kind of feel a little trapped. Um, But I think those are things that I think would, would be valuable. Yeah, I, I think you're completely right, and I think the uh, like the data cap measure, uh, memberships, the, there's the sure. incremental investments that companies can make, which are going to have huge returns from a loyalty standpoint. From the, they're upskilling their team, they're going to get a better team as a result. Do you think then? I was having this conversation earlier about how bi data or data science teams will ultimately be set up from a structural standpoint moving forward because obviously the the word on the street in the moment is companies or teams grew too big and actually through redundancies they have now a more efficient team as a result how do you think those teams could be structured moving forward Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's going to be interesting. So, so one role I think that's, well, I should say actually two roles is the first one is that data storyteller. So I feel like in the past, what, at least what I've seen is a very heavy emphasis on maybe more of like a software engineering type of a background, Mm. computer science, hardcore, really into coding. I would say, which is why kind of throughout my career, I was sort of thrown into that. I kind of had to start learning things on the fly. But I feel like now there's a lot of a base, but there's also a lot of no-code, low-code tools that are being used. And they're more efficient and they save time. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to take what the tool pretty much, quote unquote, is spitting out, (laughs) being able to create valuable insights from that and being able to convey that to senior leadership, C-suite executives is going to be golden. Because again, a lot of times individuals may be able to code or things like that, but they can't really explain and communicate well to the higher level executives. Yeah. So we're gonna we we need that position, that quote unquote data storyteller. And you know, I, I wasn't on board with the prompt engineer at first because it was new and I'd been in this world forever. But Gen AI, I mean, it really has taken over a lot. And yeah. so if you have individuals who really understand how to use that tool and really prompt it well. I mean, that's going to also, I feel like, going to be a position within organizations. Because again, a lot of organizations, I, I dare to say even most right now, are scrambling to get Gen AI built some way or another. And they really need individuals who can help train these LLMs and really, you know, again, build sort of the queries in the background and things like that, which kind of is a form of prompt engineering in a way. Yeah. No, I think you've summed it up really well. And actually, I, I was just talking to someone prior to that 98% of the Fortune 500s in their earnings call reference AI um, in terms of their next investment and how... They, so that that says it all. But I think your point's really interesting about the data storytelling. And actually, I think that probably also coincides with the uh, increase in evolution of the analytics engineer as well, where you had the data engineer that worked on the pipelinings, the infrastructure side, and was very head down, um, less business focus. And now the analytics engineers kind of flip that on his head. And obviously you now have this person who actually can look at the data, understands it, can sit with the business, can still build out these pipelines, but ultimately is, is an analyst as well. So I'm thinking, yeah, I think it's, 
What's your thoughts on data product then in terms of those companies and more specific AI data product owners? So again, almost like in that data storyteller-esque type capacity. Do you see that in areas that's going to grow? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of a morphing of the traditional, I guess I would say, product manager role. Yeah. Now we're seeing a lot, to your point, AI product Mm. manager. Very, very focused, which is interesting. Yeah, that, that's going to be fascinating to see how these structure these teams. And I think, you know, it's a nice segue into AI and the impact this is going to have. What do you think, you touched on a few points there, Gen AI is obviously everywhere, every company's talking about it, but what do you think the future holds for Gen AI from a, from a data and a team standpoint? Where do you think we're going to see this impact? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I would say just in general, pretty much across the board, healthcare, Mm. entertainment, transportation, education. I mean, it's just going to be really integrated into our everyday life. I mean, we're already seeing that now really with Mm. OpenAI and ChatGPT. And again, it could be very in subtle ways. It might not be just kind of in your face type thing, but I think we're going to see it integrated everywhere. And I think with that though being said, with everybody kind of using it, AI ethics and fairness is going to be at the top of mind. Yeah. And so that and explainability again, I, I think it's going to be very big because we really need to know how these, pretty much how these algorithms are being trained on what data and if it's fair, if it's ethical, you know, things like that. And again, just how we're getting our answers, you know, w- what's happening behind the scenes with our data that maybe we're cutting out or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, what, what are we doing here behind the scenes that could hurt or make or break something? And we don't want to end up in the news. So we need to be able, <laughs> you know, to kind of explain what's going on here. But I think that's going to be really big. And then within that comes, you know, the more regulations and things like uh, that. Yeah, I think that's fascinating about the people talk about the displacement of roles as a result of AI, but what very few people talk about, because obviously they would rather talk about the doom and gloom, is actually the opportunities and the job creation that will come about. So risk, governance, compliance, ethics. Um, it's a whole multitude of roles that we didn't know we needed two years ago. And all of a sudden, I think there's been the first couple of lawsuits have already come in where people have found data that's been used through Gen AI and they've sued the makers of them because effectively that's contributed to the wider value of their product. So we're already starting to see that. And I, in your, in your assumption then, do you think we're at the top of this curve? Are we at the bottom? Are we in a bit of a plateau point? Are we, where are we on this, on this journey? So I kind of feel like we're still at the bottom because I feel like this was the first kind of breakthrough to the masses kind of Mm. thing. Um, So I feel like there's a lot that's going to come out. I mean, I think we're going to see the algorithms training the algorithms kind of thing. Yeah. But to your point, one thing I didn't mention, I agree completely is the whole collaborative aspect of this with humans and augmenting Mm. Basically, what the humans are doing. Not, I, I've never been the camp that we're replacing humans. I've always been the in the camp of augmenting. Yeah. So um, I think we're going to see more of that. Yeah, I know there's been a couple of theses around about unsupervised learning and how you know we can be, begin to ask these uh, whether it's uh, OpenAI or but actually for feedback on how they've delivered results and they will automatically they will go away and start to train themselves to deliver a more effective and 
you know, I think if, if for people that aren't in this space, it kind of blows your mind, especially if I say, talk to a family member, they think, well, what, what the hell is happening here? But it is, a, <laughs> I think it is about driving the efficiencies, isn't it? If you can drive efficiencies at every single level, it's going to ultimately give you a far better analytics team. And surely then they're going to deliver more value. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I think your uh, your insight on this is uh, is fascinating, and obviously with your with your background, I think there's. Uh, I will make sure that everyone follows you. Uh, your content's great, and actually on the content piece, what what you know on the standing out piece, I think whilst you said obviously look at the content creators, look at for, but equally there's a lot to be said for doing what you're doing and actually pushing content out. What, yeah, was it quite scary in the beginning? Because obviously you're very active. Obviously LinkedIn have recognised that as well with your award, but what, how do they do that? Because for many people, they're like, oh, it's this unknown world for them. Yeah, yeah. So I would just say be consistent. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what we hear all across the board. And I will tell you, that is hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. when, when you're working and you're, you know, maybe you're in school or you're doing a, a bunch of other things, it's like, when can I make time to really put the content out there? But it's literally, and I don't want to say that simple, but it, it it sounds simple, but to actually do it is difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really about that consistency. And that's kind of how I started growing sort of, you know, followers and things like that on my page. Again, trying to stay relevant. And so part of that almost is, you know, kind of seeing what other people are doing that are in your field or what you're really interested in. And kind of, I I don't want to use the word copy, but emulate, you know, kind of what Mm. they are doing as well and what works. And then, you know, kind of just go from there and find your own groove of what works for you. And so for me, you know, I I did a ton of the, um, speaking of collaborative, on LinkedIn, there's the collaborative articles out there. And I will say, I've actually met, quote unquote, met because it's, you know, albeit virtual, individuals within the space that also, you know, give their insights as well. And you'll find some pretty amazing people. I know at first when the articles came out, some were skeptical and things like that, but the connections I've made from that have been pretty valuable actually. So I recommend Mm. anybody who's out there, you know, as well, it's a way to kind of learn from these articles, but also give your point of view and it'll get you noticed as well and help you Mm. sort of build that following and showcase your knowledge and expertise in the area that really interests you. Well, I love your content. I think it's great. I think you're pushing out and it's that authentic self. And I think people get to know you and especially in a market where it is the power of the network, isn't it? Actually, you might have that one conversation that you can pull back on in a year, two years and go, oh, do you remember we connected over this? I think, so. yeah, keep doing doing what you're doing. And I'll certainly make sure that people are tagged, uh, you know, aware of your profile and, and your LinkedIn background as well. So no, thanks ever so much. I've uh, I really enjoyed it, Amanda. There's been, uh, I feel like we could talk for hours, but uh, I, we won't because I, uh, I know people will be zoned out. But thanks ever so much. And uh, yeah, honestly, from our side, it's been my pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure as well. Thanks, Amanda.